and I had a fire in there and, uh, you know, the whole, in, in the middle of the night, it was like the whole shelter caught on fire, you know, and, oh, no. and, and you're listening to the feel good community podcast. My name is storm and I'm will. A few years ago, we began our journey towards learning more about sustainability, health, and wellness. The more we learned, the more we couldn't believe that this vital information wasn't mainstream knowledge. These simple yet effective ways to heal our bodies and save our planet are being drowned out by the latest pop culture noise. Together, we began to change our lifestyle to help heal our bodies, our brains, and our planet. We have become deeply passionate about sharing this knowledge, whether it's a book we're reading, interviews from leading experts, or even just personal anecdotes. We want you to know about it. And most importantly, we want you to take this knowledge and apply it to your own family and community. All that being said, welcome to the Feel Good Community Podcast. Good morning. Welcome to the Feel Good Community Podcast. On this episode, we're talking with Donica Markegaard. Donica claims many titles. She's a tracker, rancher, author, and mother. I just finished reading her book, Don Again, that details her crazy life. Donica, in Don Again, you recount a horse riding accident when you were a kid. After the accident, you saw the world through different eyes. Can you tell us a little bit about the accident and what changed uh, in your world from that point on? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was uh, a teenager, um, early teens, I uh, got really competitive with, uh, with three-day eventing. So, you know, I loved to just the thrill and the adrenaline of being on a horse and jumping uh, cross country. And uh, I uh, was warming up for a show and uh, my, my horse um, spooked. And I got thrown, and I actually don't recall uh, all the events of that day. Uh, mm-hmm. But I remember um, waking up in a hospital bed, and I sort of experienced this dual reality where I was seeing myself from above, and I was seeing that I had a choice to go back to uh, to my body or go towards this peaceful, uh, light. And in that moment, it was, uh, I, I felt like I had touched something that, uh, you know, that maybe I had been searching for by, you know, when I was, you know, because I, I had also been doing a lot of other extreme sports like snowboarding and I, uh, jumping off bridges into water. Uh, so I was always like a daredevil and, yeah. I think I'm junkie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I was just, I think I was looking for that, some, that feeling like that feeling of rapture and uh, looking um, for those types of experiences. So uh, when I sort of came to uh, in my body, 
it was like my perception had changed because I experienced that there was something bigger. There was uh, this, this force, this energy that moves through all of us that you can feel that peacefulness and that rapture and you don't need to be doing these <laughs> sort of uh, life-threatening experiences and pushing and pushing and pushing um, although that's that's fun as well uh, and you know I just started to look at things differently and I was always raised close to nature we grew a lot of our own food we went camping uh, did a lot of hikes and uh, but I started to notice more like in a, in a deeper way, like that, like, like at an energetic level. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. You said uh, in the book, you're talking about like how after the accident, you'd be like sitting in school and just like staring out the window, like not paying attention and just more interested in what's going on out in nature rather than school. Uh, how was your interest in school before the accident? Was that like a complete shift? in your head yeah yeah it was I think that I I felt some sort of awakening inside of me that Mm -hmm. I knew I had a purpose in life and I needed to seek that out and find those things that I was becoming curious about and that wasn't feeding me in in school I my my soul my spirit wasn't being fed because I felt like I was just being told what to do that this is what I need to do and this is how to achieve and this is the you know these are the options for you right here instead of me really discovering that on my own. You mean algebra didn't set your soul on fire? (laughs) (laughs) It might for some, but... (laughs) Not over here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your time in WAS? And I mean, you really, you do go into great detail in both your books, but we want to kind of give the listeners just a little bit of... A, uh, a glimpse into your life when you started tracking and when you started to become more in tune with nature? Yeah, so Wilderness Awareness School was the full-time uh, nature immersion school that mm-hmm. I was uh, sort of gifted to be a part of. And it was just through I uh, you know call it synchronicity that I was at the right place at the right time and yeah. um, I was guided to that school and uh, so I mean it was it was incredible it was sort of like uh, we uh, we would show up and uh, we weren't told what to do but it was cold and it was wet and it was western Washington and yeah. Uh, <laughs> We weren't inside in a heated room, so we would start fires, and uh, we didn't have matches, so we had to learn to start fires um, by rubbing sticks together, and we... uh, we learned uh, about the plants and we learned about the birds and we were mentored in a way that piqued our curiosity uh, where we were asked a lot of questions and different mentors would, would come in and and work with us. But it was always just an option. Like you could, you could 
learn this lesson or you could go and whittle a stick <laughs> or you could yeah. go and wander or you could go, you know, make make medicine or track an animal or work on a survival shelter um, or wander. We wandered all the time. It's like being able to go out in nature and, you know, not say, okay, I want to go from point A to point B. I'm going to conquer this mountain or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to choose this route ahead of time on my, um, on my maps and that's the route I'm going to go. Well, I mean, that can be fun, but it also can be nice just to go out and just be drawn to certain places like, Oh, check out this deer trail or uh, follow this coyote path or, Oh, there's a cool tree over there. Go check it out. Like just not with any destination or any time frame or anything like that. Just sit, you know, you sit and, and study moss for an hour. <laughs> so as you're out in the wilderness, like tracking in the book, you're mentioning that you're tracking like mountain lions and wolves and like all these yeah. large predators. I, yeah, I always was like, aren't you scared of getting eaten? <laughs> <laughs> what a, like, what's your, what was your closest call? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's part of the the thrill of it, right? I mean, I, I still had some of that, like wanted to to feel that um, being close to the edge, and that's mm-hmm. still one you know my my biggest passion. One of my biggest passions today is tracking large predators, and I I learned about them and I learned about their behavior so that it's it's. I have like this healthy fear, but it's not a encompassing fear. Like I understand if I'm putting More of, myself like, respect for them. What's that? More of like a respect for their capabilities. Yeah. And also a knowledge, like, like being able to know if I'm pushing it too much or if I'm too close or being aware um, of their their body language, their behavior, or what types of things would set mm-hmm. them off, um, and and really, it's it's uh, more of just wanting to be close to these animals and learn from them because we can learn so much for, from these predators because they're they're really the keystone species of nature. They're the ones that are sort of keeping everything moving and everything healthy. So, you know, yes. humans in the past have had this fear of predators and to the point of, you know, killing them to yeah. extinction and we've really lost out on all of those lessons that, that they can, you know, they can provide for us. Yes. You mentioned um, how when you have wolves in an, in an environment, that is when everything kind of comes together. And can you tell us a bit how you mimic the, like the predatory patterns when you're going and moving your cattle and everything like that and how, that is related to like the wolf moving the deer and you in that sense are the predator mimicking a predator moving your cattle and how like how does that affect the environment when it comes to holistic grazing and like holistic um land management yeah yeah well as as a regenerative rancher we 
we move. And that's sort Mm -hmm. of like the biggest theme is uh, we're always moving. And, you know, you think in nature, there's, you know, really, there's no nothing stagnant, there's always, always movement and um, predators uh, are a good example of that. And it's been really studied extensively in places like Yellowstone, um, where there's this trophic cascade. So it's this cascade effect where the predators uh, move the prey. So the prey mm-hmm. uh, have a certain behavior when the predators are around and they group up and they move around the landscape. And so what that does is that that then moves the plants. So instead of the uh, prey species, the herd staying in one place and just eating those plants and not allowing them to really glow, grow and and flourish, they're moving around to allow those plants to regrow. And then what happens is uh, the songbirds uh, flourish and the beavers come back in areas maybe where the wolves were reintroduced. And then uh, the plants are able to uh, have more uh, photosynthesis because they're grazed and then they grow back and they like that disturbance. Like plants want yeah. to be eaten. <laughs> they're here for a purpose <laughs> and they want they want to provide food. So if they're not yeah. eaten, they're not going to be healthy. Yeah, and they stagnate. Yeah, yeah. Or they're going to start to die off because then they no longer have a purpose. Like everybody... Everybody wants a purpose. <laughs> Even I the, never, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about plants needing to be eaten or needing, you know, I've never been like, oh, this plant has a purpose. So that's a really beautiful insight. Yeah. So, uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Um, so I was, so you were, you and your family were featured in Kiss the Ground. Can you tell us about kind of like how that happened and um, your process through everything? Yeah, well, um, you know, we get approached a lot by different people that want to come out and spend time with us or take some pictures or take some video. And pretty much we always say yes, because we're completely transparent and we want people to uh, learn directly um, mm-hmm. where their food is coming from. So they, they, we want them to to go to the source and learn from uh, the the farmers and ranchers who are then connected to nature because not everybody has that opportunity to be a farmer or a rancher, but people yeah. should at the least get to know their farmer or rancher and know the source of their food. So we feel that's really important. So when we were uh, contacted by the directors, um, Josh and Rebecca Tekel, uh, we yeah, we said, of course, sure, come on out. And they said, oh, we're just going to camp out on your place. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it might just be a day or something. And yeah. we said, all right, sure. Um, we've got a lot of work to do, but you guys can just tag along. <laughs> yeah. And they ended up staying here a week on the first uh-huh. trip. Um, and then they You're ended like in up- the first trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like they just, like they had all these stops that they were going to make are different mm-hmm. farmers and different ranchers. And, and then they got here and then they just, they just stayed. It was like, he wanted to follow that storyline. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, they're really, they're really good at what they do. Um, and, 
it was, it was, I think a, it was right at the beginning of their filming. Like they hadn't gone to the Dakotas. They hadn't gone to France. They hadn't, you know, we were sort of like the very start. So a lot oh, of these exciting. concepts that I had been working with um, and uh, learning about in terms of soil and carbon sequestration and that we'd been sort of testing on our, our ranch, uh, we're mm-hmm. still pretty new to the directors. And so it was sort of like their, their launching point of like, oh, yeah, I can then go interview a soil scientist or... Oh, um, that's awesome. Things like that. So, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. We, uh, you know, got up early and they, you know, were out milking cows with us and moving cows. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, this just, there's just always a lot, a lot happening on a ranch with a family. That's so cool. So do you think that, at least, at least on my end, um, regenerative agriculture is a bit newer to us, but do you feel like there is becoming like a resurgence of people that are interested in homesteading, that are interested in ranching? And kind of where do you where do you hope or where do you see it going within the next like 10 to 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I see it going in a few different directions. And right now, I feel is like a a major turning point, an opportunity to really um, reset things. And uh, it could go the route of sort of uh, technology and more separation from nature and like, how can we use technology to um, mass produce food um, and maybe do less harm? Um, Or how can we completely restructure and regenerate farms and rural areas uh, and revive economies and at the same time produce food that's really in line with nature that produces more life and Mm -hmm. that you know young people want to um continue to farm or ranch it's like a, a career that they are are drawn to because it's fun and it's beautiful and it's a healthy lifestyle. So I feel like there's, you know, th- there's a few options and they're kind of like paralleling each other right now. And both are getting a lot of momentum. Um, and both are sort of uh, the, you know, in, in the data isn't totally out. Like, you know, the people that want to use technology and cellular agriculture say, oh no, the regenerative agriculture can't scale. But the people that are doing regenerative agriculture are saying, you know what, it, it can scale. It just, we need, uh, we, we, you can't put it on the shoulders of the farmers. It needs company support and government support and, um, so maybe yeah, it it'll maybe be interesting. Some government in the next- subsidies that uh, all the monocrop farmers get. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting what the next 10, 15 years uh, holds. So pretty much what you're you're doing on a, a larger scale is what you learned about. Uh, I remember in the book you talked about this quarter acre uh, homestead that where you learned about permaculture. So. 
can you talk a little bit about on your farm how you incorporate permaculture into your like how you operate your business yeah yeah so i studied permaculture extensively and i uh, had a little business uh at one point designing permaculture landscapes and edible gardens uh and i really um feel that uh, any sort of, uh, philosophy or way of being with, in relationship with both nature and your food in a way where we are taking care of the, all of the life forms is, is worth diving into. So, um, you know, if you look back into permaculture, um, you know, the, and uh, Bill Mollison's background, he uh, spent a lot of time with, with indigenous trackers and he uh, was an ecologist. And so it's very much rooted in nature and how can we relate to um, those species around us to have a permanent agriculture to, uh, you know, that will be healthy for the planet and the people for many generations. So, uh, you know, I use a lot of what I learned in permaculture today, um, just in terms of being in those types of relationships with the species and with the life around me. And um, I feel like just just learning that that design and how we as humans can live in a way that's helping to heal the soil and helping to produce abundant food, um, both for us and for all life around us is, you know, that that's really where, you know, where we're at. I mean, you can call it permaculture, you can call it homesteading, (laughs) you can just call it, you know, how to be in sort of right relationship with, with nature. That's interesting. You were, so you said that you were working on planning and designing permaculture landscapes. So I know me and Storm, we have about 12 years till I retire and we settle down and we start our homestead. (laughs) How, and I know I'm the type of person who, as soon as we get a piece of land, I'm going to want to start messing with it, planning things and, you know, but how long when you're designing something that's permaculture, how long should you like sit and just watch your land? Like how long does that part of the planning process take? Yeah. I mean, you know, we tell people like it's, you don't, you really want to observe it through the seasons, especially if you haven't lived in that region before, if that region is new to you, like the climate. Um, but there's a lot, once you, once you do that once, like with one piece of land, once you get to know one place really well, um, even if you move to a completely different region, um, you can pick up on the, the the signs and the cues um much faster (laughs) so it's sort of like once you learn the birds of a certain region you can go to another region and you can 
uh, easily sort of, oh, that sounds like this bird, even though it's a different species, or that plant is in the same family as this plant that I learned over here, or, okay, I watched the water flow across the land in in this way and that's the signs that it left behind so then you go to a new area and it's it's much easier to pick up on on those cues um so i think just um it's not necessarily how because people could spend their whole lives um observing and and never really figure out (laughs) what's going on it's just sort of uh learning how to observe, like asking a lot of questions and um, immersing in all of your senses when you're outside. And um, because when, when you're immersed in your senses and you're observing uh, and really uh, in an in-depth way, then you're going to pick up on subtle cues that maybe you missed out on before. And you're also going to notice um, the wildlife more because they're not going to be fleeing from you because you sort of have this this inner peace inside of you that uh, really comes from a place of deep uh, connection. And uh, so, you know, what I say is just go outside and if you've, you know, if you, if you know how to meditate or just do some deep breathing, uh, ground yourself, um, tune into all of your senses and, and do that as, as much as possible, like every day. And then after a while, it'll just become natural and you'll be able to pick up on these subtle cues and it won't take you as long to really observe a place to be able to interact and have a healthy relationship. That's awesome. Um, so you are a mom of four. Um, how how do the lessons that you learned and the and the points that you illustrated in Donegan and Wolf Girl, how do you find how do you find those intertwining into motherhood and raising those babies? Yeah. Well. Uh- you know, we're, we've, we live uh, on a ranch. So it's, and especially, I know it's, I know it's really hard right now for parents. And I, like, I just want to say, I, I feel you, um, those parents that are at home with, with little ones, um, especially because you're not part of those play groups. So you can't just drop your kid off at at daycare and and go run your errands or go do some self care. It's like, it's hard right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I, I sort of relate that to my own experience because, you know, when I was raising young, young kids, I I did feel very isolated um, because it, you know, it wasn't, convenient for us to say walk to the park or you know meet up with other families and so a lot of times it was just me out alone with the kids and so I I really uh encourage um parents uh especially during this time just get outside as much as possible um I know we're going into winter but, uh, here in the Northern hemisphere, uh, but it's like bundle those kids up, 
and uh, take Get them those, out the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those those little times. And like, for me, it was kind of like, well, I needed to restructure everything I was doing. And, and that's kind of what I was talking about before. It's, we don't just need to restructure the way we do agriculture, we need to restructure the way we do life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I really restructured the way I did life and realized, well, gosh, I want I want to be outside with my kids. I want to um, help teach them the ethics and values of hard work and uh, actually doing things with your hands to accomplish something. And um, so, so I really worked with, um, uh, you know, our our land, and we started diversifying, and the chick the kids were involved with raising the chickens and the pigs and milking the cow, and so it was. I really restructured the way I did things. So we were producing a lot more of our own food and uh, we were, had more products that we could then sell um, as well and build, uh, build our business. So, um, you know, not everybody has access to thousands of acres to mm -hmm. uh, raise food, but, you know, it's just, just gives an opportunity to think, think differently about what's, you know, what's important and how we're going to do this life on this beautiful planet. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, how old is your oldest? She's 18. Oh, okay. So have, have any of your kids expressed interest in um, like ranching on their own or attending? So, I mean, you attended uh, WAS, so have they kind of, decided that they want to go, you know, go do their own trekking or anything like that? Or are they kind of going like a more streamlined route? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our 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 daughter, our 18 year old daughter works for us. And then the three younger ones, um, they all also are very involved on the ranch, but uh, they also do do a nature program uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So they that is like when they are the most alive. That's their favorite day is when Aww. they're, they're out and uh, they're being challenged by mentors. It's it's a really similar um uh school as the one i went to it this one's called the rikus center for nature um rikus center for human enhancement but it's the nature program and uh so they're they're challenged and they make fire by friction and they build shelters and they play you know epic games of capture the flag in the forest where they're belly crawling and just Aww. you know come back totally dirty and just <laughs> they they love it so um so yeah I think if they could do that every day they they would be happy you know very very happy that's something so. I would love to get um the girls into but right now we live in the middle of Okinawa City in Japan and it's it really is concrete as far as the eye can see. We live in a concrete box, um, third story. We have a balcony, and we make it work. We we compost here, and we grow our own herbs, and um, we have an apple tree that <laughs> that we're trying to grow. That's but great. um, but we really hope to you know one day have you know at least fifty acres and to be able 
it just, I wish I could give our kids that, that kind of life now versus having to wait, you know, five years or 10 years, that kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, it's like, you just make, you know, you just make the best of what you have. If you have a nearby park or if there's some plot of land or like you said, compost or anything that they can sort of be in touch with, um, yeah, with so good dirt and <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you were mentioning that your, your kids are out in the woods playing these crazy capture the flag games <laughs> Pretty much that sounds like your entire childhood from reading this Dawn Again book. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what is the closest call that you've had? I remember in the book you were mentioning in Cedar Falls. It was like mm. winter. It was snowing. Yeah. All your clothes got caught on fire. Like, yeah, is that up. is yeah. that the closest you've ever came to being in like a, a life threatening situation, or like how is that? Well, um, I do remember uh, one particular instance that, that wasn't in the book when, um, when I had, when I was out on another survival trek and, uh, I had built a, a shelter, uh, that I could sit up in, but it was sort of, uh, covered in ferns. And I had a fire in there and, uh, you know, the whole, in, in the middle of the night, it was like the whole shelter caught on fire, you know, and, oh, no. and, and this oh, is, wow. this is wet Western Washington, like middle of winter. Like this is, this is not dry California oh, no. prone to forest fire. Just want to kind of put that out there right now. <laughs> do not, uh, do not try this in any area. Oh that, no. Wait. Know, that could cause. No. Um, I'm from California. We have enough fires. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this was, uh, you know, sort of, you just, you couldn't, you couldn't walk without just getting totally soaked because all of the vegetation, everything around you was just just dripping wet all the time. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, as, as you're sitting in, you know, as you're in the shelter and things dry out, like, you know, it was, it, it, yeah, it, it was definitely scary. And um, I, you know, I had to put the fire out with, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, with whatever I could. And, uh, you know, it was then that I was there at night in the dark, in the wet, you know, with, with no shelter, you have some bad luck with fires. <laughs> yeah, I think when, you know, when when you're in relationship with fire a lot, it's like, you know, and when that's your your heat source, um Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you need to to learn learn to live with that. And I, you know, I was young too, so um but yeah, I I definitely uh was out in the dark a lot and uh oh, sometimes I would get I would get turned around and there's like that sense of sometimes you get that sense of panic like oh my gosh, I'm 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 lost and then you just have to stop and and slow down <laughs> and uh realize that uh you know it's okay. It's, it's you, if, as long as you kind of can navigate and try to figure out where you are, then, then you can, you can make it back. Um, so 
so yeah, I think a number, like, I think mainly it's the, the getting lost. It's like kind of a psychological thing. Um, I remember one time in the Idaho wilderness, um, I was lost and, uh, it took me, yeah, it took me until morning to get back. And, uh, you know, I ended up going this really, really long route and it was kind of back and forth. Should I, should I stop and, you know, build a shelter and, and stay for the night or should I keep walking? And I sort of made the decision to keep walking because it was very cold and I would stay warm and, um, uh, ended up walking very far, but eventually, oh eventually made it, made it back to camp. That's wild. So, did you ever did you ever use your tracking and wilderness skills uh for hunting? Did you ever do any hunting? Um yeah, I mean we did a lot of like trapping uh and fishing. Um and and more recently, uh my family and I we do uh we hunt. So we hunt deer. Um we, you know, just for um just this week we were we were hunting quail. Uh, so, so yeah, definitely I, I do, uh, use tracking for, for some hunting, but, um, my specialty was really, uh, for, for research and, and tracking, um, tracking predators to, to learn their, learn their behaviors and their patterns to aid in, uh, research and data. Yeah. I know in the book you were mentioning that, you know, you were going back and forth between growing up. You were vegetarian, if I remember correctly, and then yeah. you know, going back and forth, and uh, yeah, I was just wasn't sure. Like as I was reading, I was like, "Oh my gosh, she would be such a good hunter!" Like, <laughs> does she just do research, or does she actually, you know, get some yeah. food as well? Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, it's it's another form of relationship. I mean, there's different, there's all different types of hunters. There's the hunters that want to sort of come in and they want to dominate nature. They want to get the the biggest buck, and um, then there's the hunters that are doing it for subsistence, which I you know that's something that's sort of. Uh, primal and inside all of us that we can connect yeah. to those subsistence hunters because that at one point our ancestors were all hunter-gatherer nomadic people and um, it's it d- uses a different uh, you know different part of your brain and really forces you to immerse in your senses um, and then there's the hunters that just love being out there and love the experience and it's more about just just being out in nature and being in relationship so um you know i would say for our family yes we absolutely eat all the meat and use everything but it's also just the experience like i love you know just a few days ago i was quail hunting with my son and you know we were on both sides of a canyon and it was just you know he it was just one of those things he was just so excited and you know just trying to figure out okay where are the quail oh yeah and and then you learn it's like it's like a peak experience so you're learning more about the behavior of those animals and like oh 
when when quails sense danger, they they don't always flee. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times they drop and they run on the ground and they can run really far. So oh, wow. if you can kind of figure, if you can pick up on their subtle, quiet cues, like, oh, you know they're there, but they're trying to be sneaky and hide. So you can sort of get low and see if they're running on the ground before you just sort of flush them and you know they go um you know the whole cubby just kind of you know goes goes off so um so that's neat i mean it's it's really neat to uh kind of have those types of experiences where you really learn the behavior of those animals in in a in sort of a, a heightened way yeah and i know a lot of people whether you know agreeable or not have you know the ethical issue with hunting but you know could you i think a, a perfect example from the book is the bull elk you saw in idaho and you know mm. is it more ethical for me to shoot an arrow through a, an animal's heart or you know what you saw can you kind of explain the grisly scene you saw in idaho yeah, yeah. So this was after um, spending the whole day tracking uh, alpha male wolf. Uh, and as as he was out marking his territory. And um, so I came upon he, he, you know, I followed his tracks to the rendezvous site where the pack uh, was. And I came across, well, I was called there by a, a raven. I heard the raven calling and ravens and wolves have, you know, have a really interesting, cool relationship um, that's, you know, been studied quite a bit. But uh, so I, I heard the call of the raven and I went and just, there was just this, just completely, you know, kind of visceral, um, image of a bull elk sort of twisted up in a meandering oxbowing creek and you know I could I could sort of see the reflection of the clouds in the mixed with blood and flies and guts and it was just like you know all right there in front of me um and and I sort of had this um sort of epiphany of, of, of life and death and just how, um, you know, we, the act, you know, in, in the act of living there, there is death. And does that, can that death actually produce more life? So by that wolf, take these this pack of wolf taking out this bull elk, is that going to then make that elk herd healthier are they then going to have sort of better genetics because of it are they then going to move to the next meadow and allow that meadow to flourish so um but still it's it's hard to sit with sometimes especially if you're you're right if you're right there and you're in close relationship with death it's you know it's still really hard for me to take an animal's life and you know I'll be the first one to admit it it's it's tough um however like I want to feel I don't want to be numb to these things I yeah. want to feel what it feels like 
to eat and to be a part of procuring my own food um, because I think it's that it's that numbness that makes us fall asleep and what we need right now is to is to wake up and we need to question these things and we need to dig deep inside of ourselves and um, question our relationship and and are we awake are we awake to our own actions and uh, how we are um, being in the world yeah that's like I feel like that's the the key piece of information that the people who make those arguments are missing that, you know, if you don't hunt, these animals aren't just going to like grow old and live forever. They're going yeah. <laughs> to gonna come to a pretty violent end. Uh, so, yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a really I mean, it's interesting because uh, just, just this morning, um, you know, I was, I was out running around doing chores and getting, uh, you know, the crew packed for farmer's markets and, and my son came out and said, Oh my gosh, mom, you'll never guess what happened. But you know, a quail just ran into my window and I jumped out the window and it was still <laughs> shaking. And I, you know, I killed it with my hands. It's like, oh. <laughs> wow. And then there was a female right next to it. So he had two, you know, we have, had just been hunting quail, which is interesting. And so, but then he had two quail run into his window and he heard it and he jumped out and there was these, you know, two quail right there. I was like, whoa. Oh. And um, so then when his friends came over, it was, he had already, you know, he had just been practicing processing the quail so it's like he got to let his friends do it and it was sort of like this whole learning process of like wow these animals you know we could have just tossed them in the bushes but you know it was like they they came here for a reason and you know we're going to honor we're going to honor their lives and um you know, they're, they're going to feed us and nourish our, you know, nourish our souls and nourish our being. And, uh, you know, right there, it was like, oh, wow, that's, that was a learning right there because his friends had never done anything like that. And, uh, you know, they got to check out all the feathers and ask lots of questions and what's the difference between the male and the female. And, uh, so, you know, it's just things like that, um, that, you know, that there's death around us. It's how, how are we choosing to be in relationship with death? And how are you choosing to understand and kind of submerse yourself into the, the life cycle of not just only the animal that passed, but its whole relationship with nature and relationship with all of us. So it's yeah. a really, it's a really interesting perspective that I think, think that most of us don't have because we are so removed from our food and we are so removed from nature and this world as a living being when you know mm. you just get in your car you drive you get food that's in between plastic cook it in your house and then you know rinse and repeat you don't get to see that that more like that soul connection that we should all have to the, to the earth. Yeah, absolutely. So you, we've mentioned it before, obviously, but you've written two books. Um, What is your latest book and who do you feel like 
would benefit most from it? Like when you were sitting down and and writing Wolf Girl, what who exactly did you have in mind? Like what connection to your reader did you have? Yeah, well, um, Wolf Girl is the young adult version of Dawn again. So um, one of my uh, one of my passions is to work with um, you know. I, I work with women, uh, women in regenerative agriculture, uh, sort of across the across the world, really. But um, one of the projects that you know is just sort of uh, in a visionary stage right now is I really want to bring that next that next generation of the young women and the girls um, who might you know maybe maybe they are growing up on a ranch or you know, their, their ranch or farm is, you know, they're sort of separate from it. Or, or it's like, I, I think that's how we're going to really transition is through the women or through the girls to really, um, you know, in rural areas, uh, and empower, empower their voices. So, um, so Wolf Girl is for those, you know, those youth climate activists who are, uh, really speaking out and saying, Hey, this, you know, you guys really left us with a mess <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want you to step up. And so this is sort of my gift back to, to these young adults to say, Hey, yes, we did leave you with a mess. You know, humans have, have really screwed things up in a big way. Mm-hmm. However, it, the hope is not gone. And, you can connect with nature and connect with yourself and not, and, and find those solutions, you know, find the solutions that we as sort of um, a mass society hadn't, you know, implemented. Like we've, we've come across a lot of solutions, but they haven't spread big enough, fast enough. So, um, so look to nature to find yourself, find your passion, and find those solutions, which will really help bring us out of this mess. I mean, I yes. think right now that's that's our hope is is to invest in that in that generation that's really waking up. And so, you know, I, I've been thinking lately, like, gosh, you know, one of the things I want to do is just you know, bring groups of teenage girls out in nature and away from phones and computers and just sit around a fire all night and talk and, you know, explore and track animals and, you know, learn about ranching and get on a horse all day and, you know, do some, move some cattle. And so, you know, that's something that, I've been thinking about for, for a while now is, is a way to um, have some sort of experience for rural girls to just immerse and find that passion so that they can go back into their own communities, back on their farms. And maybe one day they will uh, be in charge, (laughs) you know, they will take it over and they'll be the ones making the decisions. And it's those experiences that they'll have connecting with nature. Like I had that will really influence the way they do things. That's so cool. I really feel like when you are able to get to women and, or, you know, girls and boys that are, excuse me, and they're kind of on that cusp 
where they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. They they know that they have these ideals, but I feel like that age you're kind of just you're just a big mesh of ideas and feelings and nothing's really solidified yet. And I think when you can get to them at that point and give them direction and give them the ability to be passionate and directed, I feel like that is when like massive change can happen. And I think that's, I think that's really exciting. And, um, I also want to know the age limit on this group because (laughs) I'm like, that sounds fun. Yeah, absolutely. I know we all need time, you know, just to to unplug. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But um, myself personally, I'm really excited to see how things start changing in the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years because I feel like right now there is this revolution of people who want to get in touch with nature, who want to grow their own food and have their hands in the soil and to watch bees and bats and butterflies and pollinators just return to the earth and really want to become a part of nature. I mean, we we all are nature, but I feel like we've been so removed from it. But I just feel like there's this resurgence of people my age and a little bit younger and a little bit older who are all just wanting to get back into their roots and to heal this earth. And your book, um, cause I'm reading, um, Wolf Girl, Will was reading Dawn again. And I feel like this book is your, your, your work is a slice of that. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see this, is that this resurgence and, um, really appreciate these books that you've written. We, we love them. And, um, I'm really excited to, to, you know, have this podcast or to have this episode launch and to be able to share it with more people because, uh, your book has given me so much perspective and I found myself really wrapped up in it. Nice. That's great. That's, that's how I wanted it to be. I wanted also for people to see themselves in the story, to not just say, oh yeah, that's was her experience, but to really say, yeah, I, I feel that way too. Or I remember when I had an experience like that because I, you know, I, I want people to yeah <laughs> hear that through stories and to then be empowered to tell, to tell their own stories and have their own uh, experiences uh, because that's really the only way we can, we can do this is that uh, we can't just say, Oh yeah, that's, you know, ranchers can do that or (laughs) trackers can do that, but I can't No, everyone can have these experiences and you don't need to be a rancher. You don't need to be a tracker. You could be living in the middle of a city in Japan and still connect to that apple tree and still have these, you know, deep spiritual uh, sensory experiences that are going to impact your life and the life of people around you. So where can we, where can we find you? So, um, you know, you're on Instagram, you are on, you have your, your website, obviously your family ranch, but, um, are you offering any more book signings or anything like that coming up in the next month or so? 
Um, well, no, I canceled everything. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had a whole book tour uh, lined up because Wolf Girl just came out in, mm-hmm. um, in March. Uh, but no, I think just, yeah, just keeping up on Instagram with as Dawn, D-A-W-N dot again, or Facebook, um, or signing up for our ranch newsletter, markyguardfamily.com. Um, those places will uh, update you on, you know, any in-person events that might be happening in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, we're still sort of launching Kiss the Ground. So I'm a part of a number of panels and sort of virtual things. Um, so uh, I, I, yeah, just tune in because there's some, been some really great uh, virtual uh uh, conversations and Q and A's with, with some of us that are, um, more part of the film. Can we find that information on your Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. I usually post that on Instagram or Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, one more question. Are you offering any signed copies when people order? Uh, you know, we don't ship from our, um, if you're local, if you're listening from the San Francisco Bay area, um, you can buy our books and, uh, we deliver to a number of different locations or you can okay. pick them up at a farmer's market and you can get a signed copy, but, uh, we currently don't, don't ship, uh, offsite the books or meat. <laughs> we, we, we just keep everything local. Yeah. That's so a yeah, a if, yeah. If you order, I was like, how do I online, get? <laughs> yeah, I know. If you order it online, maybe I could send you a little virtual signature. But I haven't figured <laughs> that out yet. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And is there any departing words that you want to tell our listeners? Gosh, it was a really great conversation, and uh, I would say just you know, just stay positive and do what really makes you happy right now. It's, it's a tough time for all of us. And, uh, you know, we just, we need to cherish, cherish those, those moments that, that we really feel happy inside and, uh, keep doing more, keep doing more of that for yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great day and, Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's it. Great. Wonderful. Feeling social? Follow us at the Feel Good Community Podcast on Instagram for daily inspiration, our blog, and behind the scenes footage. Join the Feel Good Community Podcast on Facebook, where you can read interesting articles, ask us questions, and share progress of your own journey.